Hello. This is required viewing. Got lots of problems. Rita Hayworth so, problems. Oh my gosh, this girl had so many problems. I know. I really don't want to do too much bullshit beforehand because I just want to dive in. She had such a crazy life and no one really knew much about her, her background for a really long time. They Also, well. it's like one of those things too where you look at these you look at these women, Merle Oberon, Rita Hayworth, and they look Gorgeous. And the reason why they stand out so much is because they are a refreshing difference in the sea of white faces that you've been seeing. They're finally breaking through. I think the reason why these women shine through so much is because. Throughout they, my research, everyone kept referring <clears throat> to Rita Hayworth as exotic. Yeah, that pisses me off as I a don't person. Like that. Not uh, a lot. Do you know? I've been, I've been called that. exotic. Dude, I know you have. You've told me that. It upsets even, me greatly. Even in my name, they're like, ooh, you have an accent over your E. That's so exotic. Like, you're it's French, you bitch. <laughs> you know what's not exotic? You and your behavior. Welcome He's... back to the Required Viewing <laughs> Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Chloe. <laughs> I'm exotic. <laughs> Can you put those in your parentheses on your Instagram instead of your instead pronouns? Instead of she, her, I can just put exotic. exotic. Stop it right now. God, that's a trouble. Oh, my God. Rita Hayworth, trouble. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> this week, we are talking Hollywood royalty, a goddess among mortals, Rita Hayworth. This episode is going to be wicked juicy. So. What about her Christian name? <laughs> um, first off, though, let's kick it off. What are the movies, Chloe? What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? We are watching You'll Never Get Rich, 1941. I'm going to add some spice to that one and also talk about why the title is the way that it is because I don't get it. But anyway, Cover Girl, 1944. Cover Girl. Oh, and your part. Dude, I don't know what I read. That's all I could think about was fucking RuPaul. Okay. Cover Girl. Put the bass in your walk. She did put some bass in her walk. She totally did. Because the other girl there were like, your walk sucks. But she needed to put some bass in her walk. And then she could be a cover girl. But she wasn't. So, and, sorry. RuPaul, 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 RuPaul aside. Moment. RuPaul sidebar. Gilda, 1946. Now, you're going to ask yourself, why is Rita Hayworth on this list? Because this is not common knowledge. Rita Hayworth is not white. Bum, bum, bum. Kinda, yeah, mostly. Sorry, we need the uh, SP. Bum, bum. The law and order no so I have uh, in my script bio strap in but I was looking at you and looking at that and it looked like strap on I was gonna say that's what where my brain went so uh I mean strap know, in strap what, on we don't know what Hollywood was like dude she then. was a bit of an alcoholic she might have been in some weird shit <laughs> I wouldn't put it past her strap on is in the in the cards <laughs> maybe it conjecture, is conjecture maybe it is then. only up to you <laughs> so let's just dive in read Hayworth Let's dance in. Yeah, are you ready for her God-given Christian name? Because it's not Rita. Her Christian name. Oh, yeah, I know it's not Rita. She was born <laughs> Margarita Carmen Casano in Brooklyn, New York. So Margarita, shortened Rita. Rita. I yeah. mean, it makes sense. She's the oldest child of two Margarita to Rita, Juan to John. It's not a far. Bacardi, Cardi B. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> you do really. No, did you? I sent you the thing about what her real name was. No, I know. It's like. Bacalia or yeah, something. Yeah, we're not going to try it. Anyway, Fanciful. we're not. I was making a funny Cardi B thing. We're not talking about Cardi B anymore. Cardi no, I do B love is her. Definitely. We all know she's not. You're all right. Trying to pass to get cash. So <laughs> she was the oldest of two dancers. Her father, Eduardo Casano, was of Romani descent and from a little town near Seville, Spain. Her mother, Volga Hayworth, was of American English descent who performed with the Ziegfeld Follies. Nice. The couple married in 1917. They also had two sons, Eduardo Jr. and Vernon. Her maternal uncle, Vinton Hayworth, was also an actor. Okay. Margarita's father wanted her to become a professional dancer, and while her mother hoped she would be an actress. Her, she just wait. I, she did both. <laughs> Strap on. <laughs> 
Clapper Tom will go for a wild ride. <laughs> her paternal grandfather, Antonio Casano, was a renowned classical Spanish dancer. He popularized the bolero, and his dancing school in Madrid was world famous. Antonio Casano instructed Rita Hayworth's first dance lesson. Hayworth later recalled, quote, From the time I was three and a half, as soon as I could stand on my own two feet, I was given dance lessons, end quote. She She's walking perfect. I know. Get her to work. I'm walk your way into those tap shoes, lady. She also noted, quote, I didn't like it very much, but I didn't have the courage to tell my father, so I began taking lessons and rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. That was my good little girl, he used to say, end quote. Gross. Fucking parents, man. She attended dance classes every day for a few years at the Carnegie Hall Complex, where she was taught by her uncle, Angel Casano. Before her fifth birthday, she was one of four Casanos featured on the Broadway production of the Greenwich Village Follies at the Winter Garden Theater. In 1926, at the age of eight, she was featured in La Fiesta, a short film by Warner Brothers. In 1927, her father took her and the family to Hollywood. He believed that dancing could be featured in the movies and that his family could be a part of it. He established his own dance studio, where he taught stars such as Jimmy Cagney, Jimmy Cagney and Gene Harlow. In 1931, Eduardo partnered with his 12-year-old daughter to form an act called the Dancing Casinos. Her hair was dyed from brown to black to give her a more mature and, quote, Latin appearance. Since under California law, Margarita was too young to work in nightclubs and bars, her father took her with him to work across the border in Tijuana regularly. In the 1930s, it was a popular tourist spot for people for from LA to, to mm-hmm. just bop on. I, honestly, I feel like it's still kind of a popular tourist yeah, spot. I know a lot of people there. who bop down to TJ. LA I know to some Tijuana, friends. San Diego to Tijuana. I was like, I have friends who were stationed in, they were both in the Navy and stationed in San Diego mm-hmm. and snuck off oh, base yeah. and got married many, in Tijuana. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of base dudes that just go to Tijuana. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, back to Rita. No laws, bro. And you're like, no, there's still laws. Uh, because she was working, Casano never, she never graduated from high school, but she did complete the ninth grade at Hamilton High in Los Angeles. Hayworth took a bit part in the film Cruz Diablo. Fun. That's Cruz of the Devil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was just letting you, letting everybody else who didn't yeah, speak no. Span the Spanish like the Spanish, I do. The Spanish language. Uh, you that, definitely don't speak Spanish. I don't at all. That's like French. We talked about that. Uh, Diablo came out in 1934 when she was at the age of 16, which led to another bit part in the film In Caliente in 1935 with the Mexican actress Dolores Del Rio. Oh, yeah. She danced with her father in such night spots as the Foreign and the Caliente Clubs. Winfield Sheehan, the head of Fox Film Corporation, saw her dancing at the Caliente Club one night and quickly arranged for Hayworth to do a screen test a week later. Impressed by her on-screen persona, Sheehan signed her for a short-term, six-month contract at Fox under the name Rita Casano. Because she was really Caliente. She was Caliente. She really was, man. Dude. That's why they dyed her hair red. Anyway, we're going to get to her dying, getting the, we're about there. We're We're getting there. We're getting close. The first of two name changes during her film career, during her time at Fox, she was also billed as, like we said, Rita Casano and then also Rita Hayworth. So that's. Changing to her mother's maiden name. Exactly. An English name for them (laughs) English speakers. Casano ain't no English speaking name. Uh, but when she was billed under the Casano name, it was specifically for quote unquote exotic parts. Yeah. They were casting her in like a lot of island parts. It's <laughs> racist. It's all racist. It's hey, all big bad. Boy. <laughs> big boy, look at that. It's Rita Hayworth. Uh, Come on down. What's your name? Sorry, Rita Casano. Uh, she had played during that time period. She played an Egyptian girl in Charlie Chan in Egypt. She was an Argentinian girl under the Pompous Moon, um, a Russian dancer in Patio Day. 
See, she has, what do you call it, Erin? The perfect brown. Mm-hmm. Hollywood likes she's, their perfect brown. She's exotic brown. She could be anything. <clears throat> For sure. She just had that look that you can kind of plug in anywhere. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a film, film strip. <laughs> It's Rita Hayworth. Yeah. <laughs> she could be anything. <laughs> well, until they decided she was a leading lady. And then then she was white. So by the end of her six-month contract, Fox had merged into 20th Century Fox with Daryl F. Zanuck as the executive producer now. So dismissing all Sheehan's interest in her and giving... Loretta Young, the lead in Romana, which is a movie she was slated to do. Okay. Zanuck didn't want to renew her contract. So studio head Harry Cohen essentially poached her while she was uncontracted and signed her to a seven-year deal contract to Columbia Studios and tried her out in a bunch of different small roles. Cohen argued that her image was too Mediterranean at the time which limited her in the casting. She could only do those quote unquote exotic roles, which were fewer number at the time. Mm -hmm. He was heard to have said her last name sounded too Spanish, which duh. No way. So at that time there was a bunch of different meetings and then Cohen acted on another gentleman's advice and changed Rita Hayworth or Rita because casino to rita hayworth again as you pointed out to take her mother's more irish last name which sounded more american they were trying to sell her as more american she was born in america so she was (laughs) american American. (laughs) so with cohen and justice encouragement hayward also changed her hair color from uh black to dark red and had electrolysis to raise her hairline and broaden her appearance of her forehead. Sidebar, Erin, as someone who has studied the beauty arts, what's electrolysis? I mean, it sounds, I mean, you can kind of probably figure it out. It's like electric stimulation. They're zapping the hair out of her head. Yes. I wanted to give her a bigger forehead. I wanted people to know how painful that was. Yeah, it's not fun, especially back then. Mm-hmm. They really didn't yeah, no, master back then, that. Yeah, in the 30s and the fucking 40s. Yeah, no. <clears throat> so Cohen began to build her up at this point in the 40s with features such as Music in My Heart, Lady in Question, Angels Over Broadway. That year, she was first featured in a Life magazine cover story. While on loan to Warner Brothers, Hayworth appeared as the second female lead in The Strawberry Blonde, 1941. Opposite Jimmy Cagney, which, if you remember, Jimmy Cagney took dance lessons from her dad years earlier. Mm-hmm. So they knew each other. She returned in triumph to Columbia Pictures and was cast in the musical You'll Never Get Rich from 1941. Opposite Fred Astaire in one of the highest budgeted films Columbia has ever made. The picture was so successful, the studio produced and released another Astaire Hayworth picture following year, You Were Never Lovelier. When Astaire was asked who his favorite dance partner was, he tried not to answer the question, but eventually gave in and admitted it was Hayworth. Quote, all right, I'll give you a name. But if you ever let it out, I'll swear I lied. It it's was re- fucking out. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> it was Rita Hayworth, end quote. And for three consecutive years, starting in 1944, Hayworth was named one of the top movie box office attractions in the entire world. She was adept at ballet, tap, ballroom, and Spanish routines. Cohen continued to showcase her dance talents, her sexy, glamorous appeal, most noted in Charles Vinder's film noir, Gilda, in 1946 with Glenn Ford, which caused censors some concern the role in which hayworth wore black satin and performed a legendary one glove striptease which we will be talking about to the song put the blame on mame which made her into a cultural icon as a femme fatale her heyday was in mostly the 40s but she had a few good flicks in the 50s her personal life was just as varied as the on-screen one she had a number of husbands and famous lovers just to name a few, she was married to Orson Welles for a time. 
Actually, that was probably one of Orson Welles' more famous wives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After their divorce, she was introduced to a prince and broke contract with Columbia, moved to France, and married the prince. Okay. Prince Ali Khan, a son of a sultan, Mohammed Sayah Agad Khan III, the leader of a community of Shia Islam. She was also had a long, torrid love affair with Glenn Ford. She... 40 years. Yeah, no, he essentially... They were fucking off and on for 40 years. He even moved into a house close to her house where she... The house that she died in, essentially, mm-hmm. in the 80s. Um, her career started to go on a more... Films, at least, a more downward spiral mm-hmm. towards the 50s and... Into the 60s, we start, 60s and 70s, we start seeing her on TV more often, playing nods to her younger roles. Mm -hmm. She was on the Carol Burnett show, laughing, a bunch of like comedy TV through the 60s and the 70s. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, moved into retirement mostly, kind of. She struggled with alcohol almost her entire life. And if you, I don't know how true this is. I haven't found exact sources. I thought I think I know what you might be. Yeah, but I mean, so there are there are mentions that her father sexually assaulted her when they were dance partners, Mm -hmm. like treating her like an adult and got real nasty. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was my childhood. I also would probably be an alcoholic. I was gonna say and have issues with a lot of romantic partners and. Which she did. She couldn't really keep Glenn Ford, I feel like, was the closest thing she had to a lifelong partner. And they weren't even, ever really and together. He's like, I don't even want to live in the same house. I want yeah, to for ne- sure. In, near you. I want to buy a house next to you, but I'm not going to live in the same house as you. Orson Welles used to report the rages she used to fly into. She used to get really physical with her partners. Mm-hmm. A number of her later co-stars said that the only she- reason she was working at the time, instead of just living in retirement, is because she needed money for booze. Hmm. The years of drink and living hard were starting to wear on her face, and producers noticed. She was seen less and less in public. Alzheimer's disease had largely been forgotten by the medical community since its discovery in 1906, and medical historian Brian H. Lerner wrote that Reed Hayworth's diagnosis and the public the publicity made from the diagnosis was the first time the public had a face to go with the disease. And that happened in 1981. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to her, Hayworth helped destigmatize the condition that still embraces victims and their families to this day. We have no real closer answers to solving. People need Alzheimer's. a face, unfortunately, yeah. to give the, like Freddie Mercury and mm-hmm. AIDS, mm-hmm. Rita Hayworth and Alzheimer's. And in July of 1981, Hayworth's health had deteriorated to the point that a judge in a Los Angeles Superior Court ruled that she could be placed under the care of her daughter, Princess Yasmin Aga Khan of New York City. Hayworth lived in an apartment at in Central Park West, adjoining her daughter, who arranged most of her mother's care during the final years. When asked how her mother was doing, Yasmin replied, she's still beautiful, but she's a shell. That's so sad. Wow. Rita Hayworth lapsed into a semi-coma in February of 1987 and died shortly thereafter during complications of the disease on May 14th, 1987 in her home in Manhattan. The death was felt by the entire nation. Ronald Reagan made mention of it in a speech. She had a bunch of famous people carrying the oh casket and there like stopped the world there for a minute because she stopped. She was one of the first pinups. Mm-hmm. Like she really, when I say she was a cultural icon, she really shifted what we think of like the sexy ideal image of a woman in the forties right. is Rita Hayworth. Oh, absolutely. This woman struggled with all sorts of issues, including probably race, the, <laughs> including race. Life. I think to probably being the pressure of being a pinup, right? Yeah. Like having to be beautiful, Going time. through electrolysis, she literally, they literally made her change her face. Mm-hmm. I also bet 
because we have much of a widow's peak. Correct. I also bet they made her not go out in the sun as much too, because she's she real get fucking too dark. pale. Yeah. Yeah. And if she stays out in the sun too long, you see some pictures of her while she's older, and she is she's a lot tanner because mm-hmm. she does not under contract anymore. She can go be her natural be color. Tan. Yeah. Jesus. That's the thing though. You can't go outside, or you always have to wear shades because you have to not be what's natural to you. That is interesting to me. <laughs> I feel like it would be a very painful existence, which, yeah, I would understand the alcoholism. Right. You're constantly having to deny who you are. And the life of Margarita. <clears throat> well, the thing that I've always thought about is that if I've read an article on it, and I don't know if it, because she is a bio, autobiography, and I was like, obviously there's not enough time for me to get that book, read it <laughs> before the episode. But you are abused by your father who is your dancing partner and then you make a career of dancing and acting so i'd imagine i think the idea and i think the takeaway from the articles i had read a while back was that for some people in that situation when you're dancing it's the time when they're not touching you in a sexual way i mean dancing can be very sexual in their spanish so there's lots of to be adept in that kind of stylist style style of dancing, but I think that there's that pressure, right? When you're you have to dance, you have to be dancing all the time. She didn't initially like it, and then on top of that, when she's like good at it, her dad is forcing her to be more adult. Dye your hair at that point too. You were dyeing it before Hollywood was telling you to dye it for a different reason, so that you could look older. It's just difficult. The abuse that she got at home mirrored the abuse that Hollywood gave her. It was normalcy to her. Yeah, I think that's what encapsulates a lot of... I think there is a a correlation between some actors coming from abused homes and then going into Hollywood and you go... Abuse is such a thing that where you go where it's comfortable. So if you Mm -hmm. are used to being in an abusive environment... This welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a hard life. She lived a hard life for how amazing. I mean, it's real fucking lucky she married that prince because she probably could have ended up penniless. She like drank a, a lot, lot of, of other, her money away. Like a, there's that and like a lot of other actors and actresses of her time that did end up penniless. Like they were it's just hard to see these big huge movie stars these big famous people that are that define an era define who are in themselves icons i feel like the word icon gets used way too much now oh for sure it got picked up in the gay lexicon and then everybody else decided to fucking use it all the everybody's time. everybody's an icon like, you're an icon no no rita hayworth is an icon but joan crawford betty davis these women icons but all struggled heavily yeah. and with all, almost all of them had Judy Garland yes. like fucking pills and booze and men a lot and of things that were being forced upon them exactly in order to keep going keep down dancing, with the patriarchy keep, singing, keep doing whatever so yeah well let's talk about this woman's body of work yeah are you ready to dive into the first movie because she's working that body <laughs> she worked pretty hard yeah I know Fred Astaire is pretty working pretty hard in this one too yeah, I guess. There's no tap <laughs> dancing their little butts off. <laughs> you'll never get rich. You'll never get rich. What do you think it is? You'll never get rich. Or you'll, you'll never ne- get rich. <laughs> or you'll never get rich. Regardless, theater owner and womanizer Martin Cortland, played by Robert Benchley, asks for the help of his choreography manager, Robert Curtis. Robert Curtis, played by Fred Astaire, to impress beautiful, headstrong dancer Sheila. Played by Rita Hayworth. Also, this... that woman does not look like a fucking Sheila. Change the name. No, I was thinking about that too. I was like, bugged Sheila me the whole keeps time. saying Sheila, and it's just... Sheila, not Sheila, not her name though. But in this, her name is Sheila. Robert is impressed by Sheila's attitude, which one of the dancers, Margot, finds remarkable, as Robert is not usually impressed by his dancers so easily. Sheila goes on to visit Martin at his office, where he presents her with a diamond bracelet which he has inscribed on the back for my darling Sheila. Creepy. He, also he doesn't know her. Bought his wife a Chinese back scratcher 
Yeah. I don't care how long you're married. I would be fucking pissed if I got that for a present. Yeah. For she you can he, shove that back scratcher up your ass. It's man. from his excuse being that it's from the Ming dynasty. It's from the go fuck yourself dynasty. She okay? also knows it's she, fucking it's bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> Absolutely. Because this isn't the first time he's been a fucking he's a dude. fucking creep. She's ready to divorce his ass. So <laughs> Sheila thanks Mr. Cortland but leaves the bracelet in the bag. When Mrs. Cortland arrives, she finds the bracelet with a note for, for Sheila, which is inscribed on the back, and accuses her husband of cheating on her. And he's like, what do you mean? It's like, bitch, you scraped that into a metal diamond bracelet. Also, like, he's this man's so adept and has had so much practice, like, dancing around his wife he's like oh no 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 i got it for it's for robert and she still doesn't believe him oh no, yeah it's all martin <laughs> martin once again asks for robert's help to pretend he and sheila are dating and that the bracelet was a present from him to her robert takes sheila to a restaurant where the two dance together while robert is attracted by sheila sheila believes that robert is deeply in love with her and returns his affections when the Cortlands arrive, Robert presents Sheila with the bracelet once again, for which she unexpectedly kisses him for it, shocking Martin and his wife. The next day, Robert finds out the newspapers are reporting on him and Sheila, accuses Martin of being behind this, and wants to join the army to get out of trouble. There seems to that be a lot of is... that. Okay, sidebar, a lot of these are pseudo-propaganda movies. This was mm -hmm. an encouragement to get into the army. Are you in trouble? Are you in a fix with your boss? And Do your, you and need his, to and run his away from problems? Come to the army. You won't be anywhere near your boss and his girlfriend. But wait, there's more. At Sheila's home, Captain Tom Barton, John Hubbard, Sheila's potential boyfriend, invites Sheila and her Aunt Louise, played by Marjorie Gaddison, to yes. visit him and his mother, played by Anne Shoemaker, on his army base. The same day when Captain Tom arrives, Robert wants to talk to Sheila about the newspaper. Sheila wants to get revenge on Robert for lying to her and makes a plan involving Tom and Aunt Louise. While Sheila is talking to Robert, Tom pretends to shoot Sheila, in which Robert takes the opportunity to leave. Robert, so funny. He's like, okay, bye. This is too dramatic for me. He almost hits him on the way over <laughs> know, there, by so the way. Robert gets into the army. After faking his weight. After faking his weight, he put a nice little because I don't know metal you, ring in his hat. Fun story. If you guys don't know who Fred Astaire is, this motherfucker is tiny. Lanky. Lanky. Skinny. Tiny, tiny, skinny man. Yeah. After faking his weight, where he quickly befriends fellow draftees, Swiveltongue, played by Cliff Nazaro, and QP Blaine. Played by Gwen Big Boy Williams. Big Boy. Big Boy. Big the boy. return of Big Boy. Not that big boy. That big boy stayed in the jungle. Well, he big died. Boy. He done died in the jungle. Um, and clearly stands out from the rest of the army with his irreverent behavior and tap dancing. Yeah, that boy be dancing. He would be his own Netflix category. He would be peeling irreverent potatoes. Behavior. They wouldn't be letting him tap dance all around that much. Are you kidding me? Anywho. They do yell at him a lot for dancing. They're like, stop dancing. You're supposed to be marching. He's like, I can't help it. I'm, t I'm five pounds underweight. I'm just tippity tapping away. <laughs> I'm just light on my toes. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> Curtis finds himself imprisoned in the guardhouse after a series of confusions, but when he finds out that Sheila is around, pretends to be an army captain, and tricks Aunt Louise and begs Sheila to come visit him in the guardhouse, to which Sheila agrees. Martin Why? <laughs> Martin appears... Martin appears on the base to produce a show for the enlisted men and at his request is assigned Curtis as his assistant who offers Martin the use of his apartment in town and insists that Sheila be included as his partner in the show. However, Martin is now in pursuit of another dancer, Sonia, played by Osa Masson, and promised the lead to her. Again, he's promising a lot of things without any real yeah, delivery system or plan, therefore... Robert refuses to do the show with anyone else but Sheila and tells Martin to try the both them both out in rehearse in a rehearsal. Martin agrees and Robert and Sheila dance so near and yet so far. Is the name of the song. Thank you. Dance, whatever. <laughs> song, dance, song and dance. Where Sheila understands that her feelings for Robert are not completely gone. I get that. After the rehearsal, Tom tells Sheila that she is being transferred to Panama and asks Sheila to marry him. Sheila says, there's a lot of delivery of really 
life-changing information that they just give out like it's nothing (laughs) and give no one any time to process it. No. Like, you're moving to Panama now. By the way, we're getting married. Do you want to get married? You're living in Panama now. (laughs) Sorry. Sheila says she will think about it. A viable, a viable, legitimate thing to do. And tells Aunt Louise that she thinks Robert will propose to her that night and that she still loves him. Love triangle. Robert invites Sheila to Martin's apartment where she where he tells Sonia to hide so Sheila doesn't think Robert is cheating on her. Robert gives her a diamond gift, which he is addressed to Sonia by Martin. Angering both Sheila and Robert, Sheila refuses to perform with Robert, which causes the soldiers to come up with a we want Sheila rebellion. Finally, Sheila agrees after it makes its rounds through, <laughs> through the army base. So Robert puts his plan to work. In the show, the lead gets married. So why not get a real... (laughs) I think it was... I think it's so funny. He tricked her I think it was a... a, What do you call it? A justice of the peace. Mm -hmm. So why not get a real justice of the peace? And the two will be really married. And the plan is put to work. In the end of the show, a real justice of the peace marries them off, unknown to Sheila. Rude. After the show ends, Robert kisses Sheila and announces that the Justice of the Peace wasn't an actor, but a real Justice of the Peace to the audience's shock. Martin confesses his machinations to Sheila, who embraces him in relief and calls on her new husband in the guardhouse. The jilted Captain Barton generously arranges for Robert's release from his honeymoon. The film ends with Swiv and Blaine's inept attempt to break into the guardhouse to free Robert, not aware that he is already on his way to the honeymoon with Sheila. Martin finally confesses and stops being an asshole. Yeah. For so sure. why should we give a shit? So many reasons. Well, this was the breakout role for Hayworth, as we talked about earlier. This was like the first time that she was given lines <laughs> and, a, and a decent amount of screen time. Yes. Um, also, this another like boost for this movie at the time when it was in production, she shot her life magazine spread, which was her in a bed, kneeling on a bed in a nightgown. And that became like the pinup. So like, this was like a big, come see this girl's ass on screen. You got it in a magazine. And she's going, she's coming to you to give you a show in war because war is hot. Uh, Unfortunately, because this is a podcast, not a visual medium, highly encourage you to watch these movies because all of these movies have incredible dance and song sequences. And costumes. Costumes. All the costumes. Even in black and white, the costumes. Well, the opening opening sequence is really cool. Just a bunch of passing street signs. It's so neat. It's really unique. You don't see it. It's, I mean, obviously. I enjoyed it. It was something. Yeah, no, it was really cool. Uh, it so something I thought that was interesting was you know Fred Astaire was essentially like strong armed into admitting that Rita Hayworth was his favorite dancer and I think one of the one of the things that I researched in that was in speaking about her learning style she would not know something go to lunch and he, if he like went and knocked on her trailer she'd pretty much like have the the dance number learned by lunch and be ready to go so she was like quick i mean when you start practicing when you're three years old um you just get to that level and again it's professional if that's the only time your daddy isn't touching you in that way i would dance my ass off too that's what's up (laughs) (laughs) maybe it'll go a little easier i don't know (laughs) um that language that swivel tongue played by cliff nazaro is using is called double talk and was very popular fad during World War II. Correct. Yep. I hadn't heard that in a long time, but it, you're yep. like that sounds that sounds odd. Also, hot take. Are you ready for this? Newspaper and driving. It's the old texting and driving. He, oh yeah. He almost hit somebody. There's a bunch of movies where dudes are reading the newspaper and driving. It's not stop doing other That's shit while much you're driving. More involved. Also, cars were not like. As automated as they are now. Right. And they were, <laughs> they were a bit of a jalopy. You had to fucking do a hand crank to get that thing started. And they weren't made out of all this fucking plastic either. They no. were made out of a bunch of really shitty metal. No airbags, no yeah. seat belts. And yet you think that reading the newspaper is you're a gonna great die. idea right now. There's like a good 90% chance if you get in an accident, you're going to die. There's not a lot of safety features. 
insert Whoopi Goldberg, you in danger, girl. You in danger, girl. <laughs> Put that newspaper down. But yeah, newspaper and driving is the old texting and driving. Hot take. I mean, I agree. It's not that hot. I agree. It's hot in that nobody knows that. It's, you can find. You can barely find a fucking newspaper these days. <laughs> okay, guys. It's if you take your big giant cell phone and you papered them all together <laughs> into a giant are you movie poster explaining a newspaper to children right now yes and it gets okay. ink all over your fingers and there's a reason it's really not good for the environment so that's probably why we don't have newspapers anymore but people used to take these environmentally unsafe things and drive around with them <laughs> maybe do the sunday crossword oh my god that's so fucking funny <laughs> while operating a Heavy, heavy motor vehicle. Yeah. Anyway, I thought this movie was good, but why? Do you, why was it called "You'll Never Get Rich"? I could never figure it out. Because the girls it. come down, they have that number That's when he's going to the army. And they have a sign say, that says "You'll, you'll never, never Get, get rich. rich." Yeah, that was exactly Maybe because what... he, as a dancer, he would have gotten rich, and he's not going to get rich going to the because he's going to the army. I mean, is there steady a line income. of dialogue that we both missed? He's like, going to the army. Steady income, insurance. Benefits, VA, escaping shit, a problem cool. that he initially is put back into his problem, but now he's trapped. Fool. See, that just goes to show you'll never get rich and you'll never want to run away from your problems. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready to talk about work? Cover girl. Cover girl. Turn to the left. Cover girl. Oh put on your cold cream. Cover girl. Oh my God. <laughs> put in your hairpins. Cover girl. <laughs> Cover girl is Rusty. I love her name is Rusty. I know. I'm really into that. Played by Rita Hayworth. Is Rusty it Parker. It's a really great it's name. name. I'm into it. Rusty Parker. She's a very lovely and beautiful chorus girl at the Brooklyn nightclub run by her boyfriend, Danny McGuire, played by Gene Kelly. Ooh, girl. Gene, damn, Kelly. Oh, he's a sexy motherfucker. Mm. Fellows, it's a good week for movies. It is. Uh, we got some really good looking dudes. <laughs> Fellow showgirl Maureen Martin enters a contest to be on the cover of a Vanity magazine. So Rusty tries out as well. When Maureen is given a lukewarm evaluation by like, What are you doing here? You, she was like, you shouldn't have been such a good salesman about what an opportunity this was. You know, for sure. It's a lot of talking. So their, their talent scout person is mm -hmm. named Cornelia Jackson. She sabotages, Maureen sabotages Rusty's chances by giving her terrible advice on how to act towards Cornelia. Cornelia's boss, magazine editor John Couder, played by Otto Kruger, decides to check out Maureen at Danny's nightclub, but his eye is immediately drawn to Rusty. It turns out that 40 years earlier, he had become instantly smitten with a showgirl named Maribel Hicks, whom Rusty looks exactly like. He later discovers that Maribel is Rusty's recently deceased grandmother. Danny is worried that, with her newfound fame, Rusty will leave him. She's quite willing to stay if only Danny would ask her. And this is a, right. You better act right. You better act right. This movie is about communication. Yes. That's a PSA for relationship. Cover girl. Communication. Communication. The communication issue. John brings along impresario Noel Wheaton to Rusty's performance. Noel is impressed by both her and her marvelous beauty and talent. Marvelous. Marvelous. Backstage, he offers her a job. Danny does not want to stand in the way of her rising star, so he picks an argument and <laughs> sends her packing. So he gets in the way. <laughs> Rusty becomes a star on Broadway after appearing in a musical produced by Wheaton and decides to marry him. Danny decides to close the club and perform for the troops with his best friend and co-star in the show Genius. Rusty goes off to find Danny and Genius but only finds an empty theater. She then gets drunk and decides to marry Wheaton and at the last second, however, she leaves. Like literally leaves as they're getting ready to say the vows. And she's like, I really don't want to do this. I'm going to go she to Danny. She was highly encouraged. She so. was. She was. Everyone was like, you should do this. On the whole, the whole march time. down, they're like, you don't have to, girl. You don't have to do dun, this. There's dun, still dun, time. Dun, 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 don't do it. Dun, she's dun, like, dun, but dun, it, we're it. walking down the wedding march. 
That doesn't matter. They're still trying. Your grandmother literally did this to me 40 years Run ago. Run away. In this same room. Go. To this same song. <laughs> Her like, hubby okay. was legit chill. He was so much more chill than I would have seen. That's how I know that he didn't really love her. He didn't really want to be with her. he was way too chill with He was like, it. you know what? Okay. You just go. She also spouted a lot of craziness. And he was probably like, hmm. This Avoiding. Is my, again, this is my get out of jail free card. I'm going to take this chance. <laughs> well, why should we give a shit about this movie? Because it's Covergirl. Turn to the left. Gene Kelly, motherfucker. Mm. Yes. Gene Kelly. Um, can we just talk about the title sequence in this one as well? It's, it's so much fun. It's a big wheel wrapped in silk. It's so cool. Or satin. Probably silk. Probably Back sad. when they had cool title sequences, it was there was a lot that went into it. It was really neat. You can tell they created divots for where they would like insert the titles later. This is stuff that we look at. Well, I wanted to talk about this movie because it was the first Technicolor musical produced at Columbia, and songwriter Arthur Schwartz. It was his first venture into producing. Mm-hmm. The film was a big hit, obviously, made stars out of Hayworth and Kelly. This was Hayworth's fourth musical. Her first two. We're with Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also wanted to bring up how her voice was dubbed because yes. I noticed, I because I knew, I knew that her voice was dubbed in you most You know to thing. look for this too. So I was like really watching her and watching all these movies like in such a condensed amount of time, you can really hear the vocal differences. Mm-hmm. They found women who were essentially in her range, kind of range, but they are definitely different women singing for her. Yeah, hundred percent. It's Martha least, Mears is the singing voice in this movie. Yes, it was previously noted as Nan Wynn, but it's not Nan Wynn. It's mm-hmm. Martha Mears. Mm-hmm. Who did she? So Martha Mears also did that one weird kind of like set dear like poor John. I think so. Yeah, that was weird. That was such a stupid song. It was funny. Poor John. Poor John. <laughs> that song was weird. That's a big fuck you. You write a whole song and dance number to shame um, a man. That's because amazing. Because his mother was That's shaming big, her. Good for her. Big dick energy. She did that. And then energy. he was still like, marry me. He also yanked her away. He was like yanking her away. And she's he's like, like but I love this other guy. And he's like, but we're going over here. We're getting married. He's I like, have money. You should just fawn over the fact that I have money. I okay, love that he kept man. just using the money as an excuse for his mother's bad behavior. She's yeah. just lived a privileged life or whatever he says. Yeah. He's like, that's okay. not a fucking excuse, bro. Pass. Uh, did, I don't think that poils come from oysters. That was I, pretty funny. Uh, pearls come poils. from? Poils. Poils. I don't think that poils come from oysters. They do love their oysters. They don't love them, though. They just want the pearl. No, I know. They always are like, I hate oysters, but let's still order a giant plate, which just, again, are they paying market price? Are they like, that's real expensive to not eat that. Maybe they were cheaper and then everyone was like, you know what? Oysters are hard to get. This is New York. They're close to a sea. They're coastal. I don't know. I don't know if you want to get those oysters. Oysters. New York oysters. Um, So this movie... Features the classic trio, aka triad, which is a beautiful young woman, an old, odd, funny guy, and Gene Kelly, aka Hawkeye. <laughs> They're all dancers. It just gives me like Singing in the Rain vibes. Yeah, this movie made me want to go watch Singing in the Rain. But there's always 100%. that like there's a hot woman and there's a hot guy and there's an odd third wheel. I think it's funny. That singing, goes with them on all the adventures. Singing in the Rain is relevant to this movie. Because mm-hmm. the whole point of Singing in the Rain is that Debbie Reynolds is the dubbing voice mm-hmm. to the famous actress. Gene right. Kelly was in a movie that essentially, like, he was in a movie that was real and then a movie that was a satire of, like, of a real that movie. movie that he yeah. Did. Which I, which is why I love that movie. So hot take myself. But what, I got a hot what about take. the third? What about the odd funny guy? Third wheel. What is that? You need a comic relief. Yeah, but he's like in their business all the time. Like literally, yeah, that's like, literally you guys his kiss job. and make up. You guys do this, and I'm just gonna live with you the whole time. Maybe. Do you think that's a triad situation? You think they have like a in commedia dell'arte? He would be the fool. He is the fool. But I feel like... But you in, need that. You need that. In Generation X or Z or whatever, uh, he's... They're in a triad. <laughs> he's no, just no, getting no, the short need, end of that stick. He's not getting any... 
His dick I don't know, ain't man. Him wet. and Gene Kelly live in that apartment. Like we Maybe were saying, we were saying, off. I don't think that Gene Kelly is gay. I he think, might be bi though, but I definitely think he's probably bi because he is too fine. Someone definitely put their finger up his butthole at least once. <laughs> it's it's Male, happened. female, in between, whatever. <laughs> Strap on. You can get it. <laughs> Strap on. You can get it. Uh, other note: the hats. So great. The hats in this movie. Dude, but again, so many hats. Technicolor in the costume. Well, the hats are under costumes. The costumes of were just the fabrics, the colors, the style, the cut. It was just ah, And you ah. mentioned it, right? This was Columbia's first Technicolor musical. Correct. Like first ever. Ever. For the company, yes. So do you want to know a fun fact? I always about wanna, this movie. I always I mean, do. I know. I always ask you, but we know the answer. During the middle of shooting. Rita Hayworth eloped with Orson Welles during this movie. Coincidentally, the film's wedding scene was shot that day. She was in the mood. She, <laughs> I'm in the mood for weddings simply because it's in the script. <laughs> but she got Orson Welles at his hottest. So good on good her. Good for her. Good on her. And then she was like, you know what? I'm going to get a prince. They both had alcohol issues, obviously. Yeah, could you imagine? Orson Welles was like, she was really violent. I was like, you're both <laughs> raging alcoholics. Could you imagine if they stayed together till the end of their life, just like, pull my son? Yep. <laughs> Yelling her, calling him a fat lard, and him just being like, ah, oh, shut up. It's the finest of friendship. You don't touch me like you used to anymore. It was the finest of friendship. So I pull my son. Why, Rita? Why can't you be like Paul Messa? <laughs> I still think about the the two people in that commercial with the them. Back, they're like, "What did we sign up for?" I'm not getting paid enough for this. We were we were like, "Oh, we're gonna be with Orson Welles. Who is this guy? <laughs> like, I don't know who this dude is." So you know how I said that little girl looked like Lauren Bacall? Yeah. Fun. Fact. Is it Lauren McCall? No. No. <laughs> no. She was a lot older. She was. <laughs> that little girl. And that wasn't her daughter either. That's what you're looking for. But it was stated in her autobiography that Lauren Bacall had been wanted by Columbia to appear in this film as a Harper's Bazaar cover girl. Because as she had appeared as Harper's Bazaar covers cover girl in March of 1943, like the year before. Oh, so, But instead, she filmed To Have and To Have Not in 1944 at Warner Brothers and became a star. So yeah. I think she made Good the right decision. decision. For sure. And another fun fact, Gene Kelly and Phil Silvers, genius, Exchange a quote high five after Miss Parker says goodnight to Danny and McGuire to Danny McGuire. And it is perhaps the earliest, let's see, it is perhaps one of the earliest filmed high fives. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's yeah. Isn't that cool? Fascinating. He's like, yeah. Unfortunately, it's for like a you did it. Even yeah. though they like fucking shredded her dreams literally yeah, and sure. threw them over the balcony. Yeah, sure. And then he was like, go clean that shit up. And he was like, oh, she's cleaning it up. Yeah, because that's her dream, fool. Dude, I got to say this was, and I said this to you while we were watching it, this was, this movie is one of those movies that epitomizes not only the golden age of Hollywood, but what I personally at least love about those films from that era, the dancing, the singing, the color, they had the show. specific tropes of like, like at the very end, they're essentially skipping to the camera. Yeah, you, that's a lot. That's a that's a a visual cue for optimism. So yeah, they're walking to the camera, and that's a visual cue for optimism. Yeah. So they there's so very specific visual cues that Hollywood used to use a lot. Right. And they don't really anymore. No. But yes, the Gene Kelly dancing scene at dancing the end with my, my set. Oh, oh yeah, dance. You know why? Because I think that Gene Kelly finally found a dance partner that he found befitting himself <laughs> this was this made me think about my college dance class a lot this movie was an interpretive dance of like a psychotic episode oh totally because he <laughs> you and i pointed out he smashes an entire plate glass window he just joyously throws a tr trash can into a window and then strolls off at a snail's pace, like he's got all the time in the world. He's and we're white. like, dude, you just broke a window. Put some 
pep in that step. <laughs> get some get up and go, Fulio. <laughs> yeah, no, if there was CCTV, it would have just shown him dancing crazily <laughs> in the middle of the street and then joyously throwing a trash can into a window because he wasn't dancing with anybody but himself. Okay, we could cut this shit, but that would be a fucking funny sketch. Just like we should do it. Yeah. Like the right thing and fucking destroy yeah. shit. It's funny as shit. That's <laughs> Yeah, man. That's what I thought about when I was watching it. Okay. Okay. I'm writing that shit down. Wee! There goes the trash can. Uh, and my deposit. What and the then he fuck? sticks his hands in his pocket, is just like kicking down the road, like doop doop doo. I guess I'll go get some soup. After my fit. <laughs> this movie was great. I really loved it. It was beautiful. It, the dancing on point. The singing on point. The story was strange, but I was into it. it was I good. loved it. Of start to finish, worth every second. We wanted to watch this movie, and we got to watch it. We did. We did. We also really want to watch the next movie. We did. This was movie we've been talking about this movie for a year and a year and year, year and a half. Yeah. Gilda. You have to say it like <laughs> Gilda. Gilda. Gilda, come in here. Gilda. Are you decent? Gilda, stop holding around. Gilda. I think my heart's about to stop. Gilda. <laughs> <laughs> From 1946. <laughs> Johnny Farrell, played by Glenn Ford. Oh, so that Glenn Ford. That Glenn Ford. See, okay. This is the movie that started their relationship. Him though, that was literally when we looked, looked at the poster. Like, we were like, ugly him though, yeah. him though, for forty years. Forty years. You could have had anybody. Dude, that means his dick was spectacular. He's doing some right. He knew. He knew where the Y was at. <laughs> Yoni. <laughs> <laughs> My mom calls Conalingus eating at the Y. That is fucking <laughs> funny. Can we can we tell it to Mary Jennifer? I bet that was yeah. a popular statement. Yeah, I should see it. I just see it. Okay, she another sidebar, dude. We're talking about grandma's STIs. That one should be like, you know, well, he was eating at the wine. <laughs> and I guess I got something. <laughs> anyway, 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 anyway. John Farrell, played by Glenn Ford. Yes, that Glenn Ford. Again. That Glenn Ford, him. Mm. Okay, all right, girl, get in that live dream. your dream, living that, get living that D dream. An American newly arrived in Buenos Aires, Argentina, wins a lot of money cheating at craps. He is rescued from a robbery attempt by a complete stranger, Ballin Munson, because he's balling out of control. <laughs> Played by Gregory McCready, Munson tells him about an illegal high class casino, but warns him not to cheat there. Farrell ignores his advice, wins a blackjack, and is taken to see the casino's owner, who turns out to be Munson. Farrell talks Munson into hiring him and soon becomes Munson's trusted casino manager. Munson returns from a trip and announces he has a new wife, Gilda, Gilda, played by Rita Hayworth, whom he has married after only knowing her for a day. Damn, dude. Johnny and Gilda instantly recognize each other, though both deny it when Munson questions them. Munson assigns Farrell to watch over Gilda. Johnny and Gilda are consumed with hatred for one another, and she cavorts with men at all hours. Okay, sidebar. I watched this movie twice because I was really fucking confused. They never have any dialogue about their previous relationship. It is just anger, They're, hatred, and stupid looks at each other. They kind of say something, but it doesn't... And then they do a lot of backtracking Munson is like like you guys know each other and that's like all the dialogue that they have until later I don't know I feel like questions could have been they could have cleared some shit up it was earlier. it was confusing it was a little confusing but we digress digression Munson assigns Farrell to watch over Gilda. Johnny and Gilda are consumed with hatred for each other, and she cavorts with men at all hours in increasingly more blatant efforts to enrage Johnny. And in return, he grows more spiteful towards her. Munson is visited by two German mobsters. Their organization financed a tungsten cartel, with everything put in Munson's name in order to hide their connection to it. They have decided that it is safe 
to take over the cartel now that World War II has ended. But Munson refuses to transfer ownership. The Argentinian police are suspicious of the Germans and assign Agent Obregon to try and obtain information from Farrell. But he knows nothing about this aspect of Munson's operations. The Germans return to the casino during a carnival celebration and Munson ends up killing one of them. Farrell rushes to take Gilda to safety. Alone in Munson's house, they have another confrontation, and after declaring their undying hatred for each other, passionately kiss. Because she hates him so much, she could die from it. After hearing a front door slam, they realize Munson has overheard and a guilt-ridden Farrell pursues him to a waiting private airplane. The plane explodes in midair and plummets into the ocean. Munson parachutes to safety. Farrell, unaware of this, concludes that Munson has committed suicide. Gilda inherits his estate. Farrell, How extra to f- like frame your death? Like <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Gilda inherits his estate. Farrell and she immediately marry, but unknown to her, Johnny is marrying her to punish her for her betrayal of Munson. That's a weird loyalty to that guy. Because I think maybe he loves Munson a little bit. Maybe a little, little, little lump. Stuck his finger up his butthole. He's, he had a little syndrome because he was like, he saved me. Now he's, I don't know. I, he it's, needs it's therapy. A weird, it's a weird undying like devotion yeah, to this man. Weird. He abandons her, but has her followed day and night by his men to torment her. Gilda tries to escape the tortured marriage a number of times. Insert sexy striptease for a room full of people. But Farrell thwarts every attempt. Obregon confiscates the casino and informs Farrell that Gilda was never truly unfaithful to Munson or to him, prompting Farrell to try and reconcile with her. At that moment, Munson reappears, revealing he faked his suicide. He tries to kill. This is a soap opera. It really is. <laughs> Surprise, I was it alive really all along. I'm pregnant. <laughs> it's your brother's baby. <laughs> We're in Buenos Aires now. <laughs> He tries to kill both Gilda and Farrell, but bartender Uncle Pio fatally stabs him. When Obregon arrives, too late, Johnny tries to take the blame for the murder, but Obregon points out that Munson was already declared legally dead and declines to arrest him. Farrell gives Obregon incriminating documents from Munson's safe. Farrell and Gilda reconcile, and the movie fades out. I don't understand why she was into him. He abused the shit out of her the entire time. Anyway, why should we give a shit? Because <laughs> it's an abuse story for the ages. This was <laughs> one of the most popular film noir movies. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, weird fun tidbit number one, it was the movie they watched. Like you, oh, yeah. So the movie The Shawshank Redemption is based on the book, which is actually called Rita Hayworth in The Shawshank Redemption because he has that is post. It, it is. It's is really the, called Rita, Rita Hayworth, Hayworth in The Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. That's the name of the book. Huh. It's not called Shawshank Redemption. It's called Rita Hayworth. It, she has a lot more prominent yeah. prominence in the book. So uh, I just thought that's, that's interesting. This is the movie they're watching in the movie. Okay. So the movie within the movie. Yeah. Um, also, also, while Gilda was in release, it was widely reported that uh, an atomic bomb to be tested at Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean's Marshall Island would bear an image of Hayworth reference to her bombshell status. And then blow her up? Jesus. And the fourth <laughs> atomic bomb ever to be detonated was decorated with a photograph of Hayworth cut from the June 1946 issue of Esquire magazine, and above it was stenciled the name Gilda in two-inch black letters, although the gesture was meant to be a compliment. She was deeply offended. I would be, and too. I would be, too. I would be fucking How is pissed. that a fucking compliment? I mean, military boy. Especially man. because a lot of those things, they called them Big Bertha. So, <laughs> yeah. We like you. That's why we're going to paint you on this bomb and blow you up in the middle of the Blom- ocean. Yeah. Your you know, face is going to melt. The bomb that we're testing a ton to of melt, people. Yeah. To melt, your face is going to melt the faces yeah. of other faces. It's going to be crazy. I mean, I would be, I would be upset as well. Yeah. No chill. She has no chill. She is right. Um, this movie was based in Buenos Aires, which so was 
You Were Never Lovelier with Fred Astaire Correct. in 1942. Yeah. They're both based in Buenos Aires. And the quick little aside for that one is, in Buenos Aires, a man who has decreed that his daughters must marry in order of ages allows an American dancer to perform at his club under the guise that, you know, he gets with the second sister. Nice. That's the deal. You married um, my daughter. You can perform at my club. You work for me. You do some work for me. But one of the sisters was Leslie Brooks from CoverGirl, played, who played Maureen. Nice. Who betrayed cool. her. But one of the things that I, one of the, we really wanted to watch this movie for a long time. And one of the reasons is that I've heard this quote over the years, over and over and over again, that this movie haunted Rita Hayworth in that every guy she ever dated expected Gilda. And then when they went to bed with Gilda and the woke up, that yeah, talked yeah. About and the then woke that's up. That's what people expected. This well, the striptease, take- her ability to just go off with men, whether they were paying attention or not, to the fact that that guy was like, she wasn't actually like fucking all those dudes. No, she was they just literally went out her for company because you shit. ditched her all yeah. the time. She just doesn't want to be alone. Is she mad bored, dude? You left her alone, and you're torturing her with the painting of her ex, who yeah. everyone thinks is dead. Yeah. Um. But the 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 common quote from her is that you know they would go to bed with Gilda and they'd wake up with me and be very like disappointed that I wasn't that woman. Like yeah, it's a character. I know, but that's the problem with people. They think you're the character, the femme fatale, yeah. the woman who is kind of always outspoken and and that who, that me? movie then defined her and she did a lot more femme fatale like things. Mm-hmm. So she like shot herself in the foot. But when you have a but contract, like, you have a you, contract. You have a you know contract. I mean? And two, if you're thinking like, this is a big one. And then you're like, this did was a career maker for her. Unfortunately, she kept getting cast as that afterwards. Ilda, are you decent? Again, he did. He didn't knock and he didn't wait. He, he just, awful. he walked in and so did the other dude that she was in, being introduced to. And she's like, my wife seems to hate you. And I don't know why. Maybe because you guys walked in on her dressing. Speaking of dressing. <laughs> That's actually a really great segue. So the intro scene for her in this, they filmed twice in two different outfits. Okay. Because that's how extra they were about the outfits. The outfits, again, in this, whoo, shit, they were cool. So good. So good. Um, The stripped blouse, dark shirt, and then the the off-the-shoulder thing, and then they Mm -hmm. went with the striped thing, and that was really cool. Um, We were talking about their... Glenn Ford and her having like a 40. So I have some more tea to that, to that like 40 year relationship. I felt a breeze behind me. Yeah. It's yeah. So in 2011 biography, Glenn Ford, a life by Ford's son, Peter Ford. Peter revealed in the book that his father had gotten Hayworth pregnant during the filming of loves of Carmen. She then traveled to France to get an abortion. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the, Ford, for the loves of Carmen. I know they really. I guess they really did love each other. It was he moved in n- literally next door to her in 1960 at her be- when she lived in Beverly Hills, and then moved to New York uh, to continue the relationship. When she, yeah, was with he her basically daughter. he yeah. was with her till the end. So she was gorgeous. And yeah, you weren't. I get it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. She had. An extremely impactful career was an extremely tragic woman who dealt with all sorts of shit. A lot of tragedy. (laughs) But race was really just like in the middle of all of that like shit cake that was her life. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I it's fascinating to go back and think, oh, wow, these whole people changed the entirety of who they were to become this image that everybody mm. totally just admires and puts posters on their walls. But and it's I a farcical image. Exactly. It's cur- curated. It's exactly. created. Yeah. What an episode. Rita was a fucking legend. And I'm glad we got the opportunity to talk about this because it was... Margarita. Margarita, girl. Hey. Man, if it was today, she would go by Margarita. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, next week, as I said last week, um, <coughs> these next couple episodes are kind of the inspiration for this season. So next week we are covering Raz 
Kingsbury. Carol Channing. <laughs> and we're watching that fucking movie. So we love Carol Channing. We This is like the inspiration for the, one of the inspiration for the season in addition to Miss Rita Hayworth. But for Carol Channing's episode, stay tuned because we might have a very special guest. So excited. Don't forget I'm to excited. follow our socials required viewing podcast on all the things. Podcast. Podcast. On all the things. You're waste your oysters and the poils. <laughs> Get all oh. your poils and oysters <laughs> at the required viewing podcast.com. Uh, follow me at Aaron Molino Official. Follow Chloe at Chloe Riggs Makes Things. Don't forget to check out our merch store at requiredviewingpodcast.com. And until next time, friends, happy viewing. Happy raspberries. Just kidding. Happy viewing. Hello. This is Required Viewing. This has been a Required Viewing Network production. Thank you to our producer, Michael Murray, social media manager, Chloe Riggs, and showrunner, Aaron Mullane, as well as an additional thank you to our guest contributors.